0: Hello and welcome to Stony Creek Radio, the sermon podcast from Stony Creek Baptist Church in London, Ontario. We're so glad you've tuned in today. Our prayer as you listen is that you'll be encouraged and built up in your walk with Jesus as we study God's word together. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's jump right in. Stick around in here, I'm gonna invite you to open your Bibles to Numbers 25. I think I left my water over here. I probably wouldn't need it, except that I forgot it. Now I'm feeling dry. So just open your Bibles to Numbers 25. We are going to be finishing. Uh, th- thank you, Han. <laughs> going to be finishing our series today. We've been working through some week four of this series on Balaam and Balak and these uh, narratives in Numbers 22 to 24. Going to be looking into Numbers 25 just a little bit today as well. But it's been a pretty fun series. I mentioned before that our students right now, they are at snow camp. And uh, it's great to kind of see them all off. I was getting some videos and footage of them. There's a one video of a group shot they took yesterday. Uh, they were doing polar dips. So they are taking turns jumping into a giant pool of cold water in Owen Sound. Uh, they were doing paintball. Uh, They were doing a lot of other rough games, games that I remember the last time that I was at snow camp would have been 2015. It's hard to believe it's been that long. And I remember it took me weeks to recover after that. Uh, And so I'm thankful I'm not there, but I'm also very thankful that we have our leaders who are there as well. They're there with just three other, uh, two other churches in them. And one of the other churches they're there with is actually the church that Yvonne and I grew up at. It was Fellowship Baptist in Coburg, and they are there as well. And so one of them was sharing with Pastor Andy that when she was six years old, Yvonne used to babysit her. And she is now a leader uh, in that youth ministry and that Word of Life. And all of a sudden, we felt very old. The kids who my kids are there with now, obviously, they're our friends from back home who have sent their kids there as well. And I don't really understand how it happens, but it seems that the older I get, the faster time seems to go. Uh, and I and my daughters have been telling me for a long time I am old, I just never really believed it. And it's kind of starting to set in just a little bit. Um, They're doing a lot of fun stuff there. One of the things, though, the the theme of the weekend is just one word. It's the word control. And underneath that is a subheading that says trusting God's sovereignty. And so they have been getting teaching over the whole weekend on what it looks like to know God and to trust Him. To trust that He knows what He's doing even if we don't understand it. And I was thinking this week as they were learning this, this weekend, as they were learning this, I, I almost wish that Balak and Balaam would have had an opportunity to go to snow camp and hear these messages and be able to apply these messages to their lives. Because this is one of these challenges that they had of trying to exert their control over the Lord. And one of the things that we have seen working through this series is uh, them being humbled Uh, Balaam's name means destroyer. Balak's name means devastator. And so we have destroyer and devastator teaming up to take out the people of God. And what they discover in this whole journey is that they have no power against the Lord. That if the Lord is against them, then there is literally nothing that they can do. And so this series title has been, If God is for Us, God is for us. Who can be against us? And the people of God would have been encouraged by this. And remember, we talked about before, this; these narratives in chapter 22 to 24 is an insert into the story. If you look at the end of chapter 21 and then continue reading at the beginning of chapter 25, the story just flows. And so this is an insert that's being tucked right in the middle. And, and Israel would have had no idea this was going on when it was happening. They would have had no idea these attacks from the outside were being kind of done against them until afterwards when they would have heard this, whether uh, we don't know how they would have got this information afterwards, but afterwards they would have heard this and been encouraged and reminded that when the Lord is on your side that you have nothing to fear. And this is an encouragement for us today and a reminder for us today. These same truths that the people of God learned then are same truths that we can run forward with today with boldness and with confidence. That if God is for us, we have nothing to fear. And even just that truth alone, I pray, would set in, in your life and in your hearts. That as you wrestle through everything that's going on in your life and the, the, the hard that is happening in your life, and we can question why the hard is happening and why God would allow it to happen. But even if we don't understand, we can rest in the truth that God does, that God is sovereign and that he is at work. And even if we don't understand why he allows, what he allows in our lives to happen, we know that he is working in the midst of it. He is working in our lives, and he is working in the lives of those around us. And we can rest in that. And this has been this this constant truth throughout this series, a thread throughout this entire narratives of Numbers 22 to 24 of that very thing, that if God is for us, and if you know Christ and you know he is for you, then we have nothing to fear. And I pray that would lead us to boldness and to confidence. Now, in the story, we've seen Balaam get hired by Balak. Balak is the king of Moab. Balak uh, was concerned because God's people had camped on Moab, getting ready to go into Jericho on the east side of the Jordan. And the king of Moab was pretty worried about God's people being camped there. Uh, If he had known the truth, he would have known he had nothing to fear because God had already told Israel not to touch Moab. Don't provoke Moab. Leave. Them be, this is not part of the land I am giving you. Don't touch them. The king of Moab, Balak, did not know that. Uh, He didn't know the truth, and it led to a whole lot of heartache. Everything that we have been studying over the past three weeks into this fourth week never had to happen if Balak knew the truth. I think the same thing can be said of us that there's much in our lives that doesn't need to happen that we put ourselves through heartache and sleepless nights that we don't have to go through if only we would know the truth and rest in it. We would know the truth of who God is and rest in that. Balak is concerned. He hires Balaam. Balaam is a professional kind of prophet, a professional sorcerer who will work for and against any god. And he was internationally known around this whole area. Well, internationally, so around this whole area, he would have been known for being very good at what he did. And so Balak thought, I need some spiritual help to take out God's people. I needed some spiritual help to take out Israel. He hires Balaam. Balaam, this whole reluctant initially, but he want, he's driven by greed, as we read throughout the scriptures. He ends up going, trying to, to curse Israel, but every time ends up blessing them. Only can say, What the Lord allows him to say was this truth we saw repeated. And now at the end of all of that, we come to verse 10. And Balaam has tried. He tried to to get that paycheck. But he could only say what the Lord put on his mouth, whether he wanted to or not. And in verse 10, we, we looked at this briefly last week. But let me just kind of read this as we move into this week's passage. Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam. He struck his hands together. Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies. Behold, you have blessed them three times. Therefore, now flee to your own place. Therefore, just go home. We don't want you here anymore. Go home. Flee to your own place. I said I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. We talked about it last week. That was two weeks ago. That was a cheap shot. It's kind of like, I wanted to bless you. I wanted to give you this house of silver and gold that you wanted, but the Lord has kept you from that. Same kind of truth that you may get thrown at as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, you could have been someone great in the business world if you didn't choose to give all of that up to be a missionary. These kind of accusations that get thrown. I wanted to bless you, but the Lord has kept you from that. Verse 12 goes on, Balaam said to Balak, did I not tell your messengers whom you sent to me? If Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad with my own will. What the Lord speaks, that I will speak. So this is what he told them before. And now behold, I'm going to go to my people. I'm going to go home. But then he says this, come I will let you know what, the, what this people will do to your people in the latter days. So before Balaam leaves, he's like, listen, one more parting blow for you. I want to tell you what's going to happen to you. And this was not solicited at all. This was completely unsolicited. This was kind of like a freebie oracle that Balaam is now giving Uh, to Balak. I just want to, I just mentioned that word oracle. I mentioned two weeks ago, and this is, I have to apologize on this. Two weeks ago, I had mentioned that this word oracle in the Hebrew was a word only used of false prophets. I wrote that down, And then I didn't actually look that up and I read that somewhere and it turned out that's not actually true and I didn't do my work. So I apologize for that. So if you made any kind of note, it really doesn't change anything except that I misled you and I apologize. That was unintentional. But if you made a note to say that word was only used for a a nonprofit, that is simply not true. And so I apologize for that. I think I read it somewhere and I must have misunderstood it. I'm not really sure. But all of that to say I am sorry. I was wrong on that. But he says in this here, I'm just going to give you this one last oracle. I'm going to give you this one last saying, this one last prophetic word that's going to happen in the latter days. You notice those last words, in the latter days? That is telling us that this is not talking about the present context, but this is moving to a deeper reality beyond the present context. And oftentimes in the scripture, when you see in the latter days, it has eschatological undertones to it. And so this is Balaam now going to give Balak... One last oracle that's going to point beyond the present context into a future reality, and it's going to look point us forward. And this is what he says in verse 15. He took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with eyes uncovered. So you're seeing this repetition about eyes being uncovered. Uh, Balaam, as a professional sorcerer, he was also called a seer. And so that was one of the jokes along the way was his donkey could see what this professional seer could not see. And so now he is kind of pointing out these these realities of the Lord has opened his eyes to see certain things. You read this and you think, "I, I wish Balaam would have submitted to this. You wish Balaam could have learned from all of this and submitted his life under the sovereignty of God. But we see throughout his life, it ends in Numbers 31, that he never repented, he never turned from it. He's continually seen throughout the scriptures as one who opposed God, was out for greed, was out for selfish gain, was willing to compromise whatever he, he, he could to get what he wanted. Now, if you compare that section we just read, this opening part of this oracle, to Numbers 24. If you look at Numbers 24, verses 3 and 4, you're going to see the exact same words repeated except for one line added in the middle. So the exact same line is is mentioned, and then the the one line that's added in this final oracle is this, and knows the knowledge of the Most High. So put right in the middle of what it said before, it says knows the knowledge of the Most High. And so this uh, this may not be anything too significant, but it may simply be saying... This is Balaam now. He hasn't gone to consult the Lord on this, but this is Balaam who's already been told these things, who's been shared this knowledge previously. And before he goes, he's going to share this now with Balak. And this is what he shares with Balak. This is what's going to happen in the latter days. Verse 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seer also, his, his enemies, shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the city. One last oracle for you, Balaam, Balak, the son, the king of Moab. There is a day coming when you are going to be destroyed. You are going to be wiped out. And he's going to mention a whole number of other nations as well in the process as he moves forward out of this. When was the last time you met a Moabite? When was the last time you met an Edomite? This prophecy of Balaam has come to pass already. And now notice what he says here in verse 17. I see him, but not now. Who's he talking about? In the latter days, this is going to happen. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel. This could be referring to David. Certainly David is one who, who, who would take the role of king among God's people, and many of these nations would be overcome by him. But David's only in earnest in this, meaning David is only a partial fulfillment of this. What we see now moving forward, what does that sound like? A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. We, we we looked at before a couple of weeks ago, Genesis 49, when Judah is spoken to his, by his father and mentions these same kinds of words of scepter and star. And so this is, this is something pointing to us out of the line of Judah is coming one who will be a star, who will be a scepter. Scepter is talking about someone who holds the position of power and he will be a star. And in Matthew chapter 2, we read of magi who see a star and who follow that star. Why did they follow the star? Because they knew the prophecy. Maybe from Daniel who told them Balaam's prophecy here. But the Magi knew this astrological event that they were seeing, this star that they were seeing, they had pieced it together to tie to this prophecy of Balaam that pointed forward to the Messiah who was to come. So Balaam says to Baal, like one more prophecy for you, one more oracle to you. There is one coming out of Israel. And for Israel, there's going to be a Messiah, this scepter star king. And by him, ultimate victory and ultimate blessing will come for God's people. So This is, this is messianic. This is 1,500 years before the coming of Jesus. And Balaam is pointing us forward to Jesus. I see him, but not now. There's a day coming when we do get to see him. There's a day coming, Magi got to come and see the star scepter king. But this is Balaam, who, 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 this pagan prophet, who God has put a word in his mouth. And through that word, the people of God are reminded and assured that the Messiah will come. And the ultimate blessing that they have been promised from Abraham is coming through the scepter star king this Messiah who is to come. And so this, this kind of truth that we can grab a hold of, the same truth that they would have held on to, is this idea that ultimate hope and victory will be accomplished through this one that Balaam prophesies about. Ultimate blessing and ultimate victory for the people of God and for us today as the people of God come. is accomplished by the promised Messiah, all Nations. Now, let's just keep reading, then I don't want to go back to that idea, because he's going to now mention a whole bunch of other nations. Verse 20 says, Then he looked on Amalek and took up his discourse and said, Amalek was the first among the nations, but its end is utter destruction. He looked on the Kenite and took up his discourse and said, Enduring is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned when Ashur takes you away captive. Now, there's a play on words that's happening there. That word nest and the word cane are pronounced the same. The word nest in the Hebrew is pronounced Cain. And so there's a, it's actually a pun that's being used by him there. But you see, he's talking about one nation who's going to come, they're going to take over another nation, but then they're also going to be wiped out as well. The same thing that gets repeated throughout history of a nation that rises to power, but then they're taken over by another nation who then is taken over by another nation. That's the story that we see throughout history that we still continue to see today says this in verse 23, he took up discourse and said, alas, who shall live when God does this? Like, who can stand against God when he does this? It's almost like Balaam is getting to this point where he re- now realizes there's nothing he can do against the Lord. That the Lord is the one who is sovereign. The Lord is the one who holds the power, not him. Who, can, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from Katim shall afflict Ashur and Eber, and he too shall come to utter destruction. Then Balaam rose and went back to his place, and Balak also went his way. So you see a whole bunch of nations, and I thought, ah, we t- I-, I could share the history of each one of those nations. What I thought would be help- more helpful for us is you look through all of those nations that are being mentioned. And what's the point that Balaam is trying to make through this oracle? That nations come and nations go. One nation rises only to find it being taken out. But the Messiah who will come out of Israel will be one who will establish an unshakable kingdom. He will be one who will exert power over the nations. In fact, the multitudes of nations will come to him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that this Messiah is Lord. The multitude of nations, every tribe, every language, every nation, every tongue will be around the throne of this Messiah who will be the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. This is all coming from the pagan prophet Balaam. That out of Israel is coming a Messiah and he will be above all nations. And the ultimate fulfillment of that Abrahamic covenant, we have seen throughout uh, this series, this mention of God's people, whoever blesses them will be blessed. Whoever curses them will be cursed. And their descendants will be like sand on the seashore. And this promise we are seeing Balaam mention is going to be fulfilled by and through this coming Messiah. The fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant is Jesus. That they were promised a great nation, and that that great nation, in one sense, was fulfilled physically with the nation of Israel, but that's ultimately filled through Christ, who, when we looked at Peter together, saw that through Christ he creates a holy nation, a royal priesthood. God told Abraham that through him every nation on earth would be blessed. Balaam tells us. Jesus is that blessing. Every promise finds its yes in Jesus. We look forward to Jesus. They looked forward to Jesus who would come. And right at Christmas time, we sing that song: "The hopes and fears of all the year." A song. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in Thee tonight. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in Jesus. The hopes of God's people are met in. Jesus the fears of all of the enemies of God who those who oppose God are also found in Jesus Jesus will be the end of all who oppose God so, so why, what can we kind of take away from this i'm going to move into chapter 25 in just a moment what can we take away and it's this this truth that i pray that you will walk away from today resting in and that is the sovereignty of God The same thing our students are learning this morning as they sit listening to a teacher in Owen Sound at Word of Life, that we can trust and rest in the sovereignty of God. Out of this, out of this story through Balaam, I pray that we will walk away doing the same thing, knowing that ultimate fulfillment is yet to come in Jesus Christ. That there is coming a day when he is going to return, when he is going to crack open the sky, and there is going to be a new heavens and new earth established by this Messiah Balaam is talking about. And we will spend all eternity with him. And I pray that that would lead us today to boldness and to courage, trusting in the sovereignty of God as we go out into the world and storm the gates of hell with the good news of the gospel. That this truth will lead to this kind of boldness because this truth that Jesus is coming back and sometimes lead us to step back and rest and wait for that day. Well, I'm just waiting for the day for Jesus to return. But if you're breathing today, if you are alive today, We can be used of him in proclaiming his glory, proclaiming the gospel to every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue. God wants to use you if you're still breathing today. And I I pray that we would rest, that, that even when we don't understand all that's going on in the world, and the reality is there's probably much that you face every single day that you don't even know that God is protecting you from that like he's done to his people. There are attacks every day that you likely face that you have no idea are even happening to you. Let's rest in the reality that whatever it is that we are going through, however hard it is, even when we don't understand, we can trust the God who does, the God who is working it all for his glory, the God who can use a pagan prophet for his glory, a pagan prophet and an evil king who conspire together, God can use that duo to encourage his people and to remind his people that he is sovereign and we have nothing to fear. So that truth is that truth that we see throughout these chapters. Now, you think that that's a kind of a happy ending for God's people. That these attacks have come against them, God protects them from it. He exerts his power over Balaam and Balak, and you think, wow, God's people, that's a victory for them. Look at the first thing you read in chapter 25. The people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifice of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. You think, what are you doing? Where Balaam and Balak failed, from the outside trying to remove God's hands of blessing from God's people, they succeeded through sexual immorality. And when, if you keep reading Numbers, you see in Numbers 31, which describes the death of Balaam, that all of this that happens here was Balaam's idea to Balak. So you, you come away and you read this narrative, you think, well, Balaam doesn't seem like a bad guy. He seems like he's just trying to do what God says. But then these undertones all throughout the scriptures that tell us he was bent on greed, he was bent on kind of, exerting this kind of power over any kind of deity and becoming famous for that. And in in the Mishnah, the Jewish Mishnah, it says uh, somewhere, if I can find it. Here it is right here. not, Not the Mishnah, I'm sorry, the Talmud. In the Talmud, Balaam said to Balak, the God of this nation hates licentiousness, so in order to destroy them, prepare your daughters to have licentious acts with them. So we read in the narrative, Balak went back home. What happened instead was when Balak was going back home, before he did, he said to Balak, you know, listen, I I have no power over this God, but let me tell you how you can get in the middle of them and lead them to cause God's hand of blessing to be lifted off them. Invite them to a party. Get all of your... Temple prostitutes. Now, remember, they were on Baal of Peor, we looked at. Baal of Peor on that particular mountain. Baal, in the mythology and and the belief of that day, uh, had intercourse with Asherah, another god. And so part of the worship to Baal was through temple prostitution. And so what what, what he is saying, what Balaam is telling Balak is, you know, have a... Have a religious service. Invite the Israelites to this party. Bring your temple prostitutes and have them seduce them. Have them bring out their gods. And through sexual immorality, you will get them to fall. And the Lord, their God, is a jealous God. The Lord, their God, will lift his hand off of them. His blessing will be removed from them if they are disobedient like this and turn away from him and turn to the Baal gods, being seduced by these temple prostitutes. And so this is what happens. I can imagine that conversation between Balak and Balaam being like a conversation that we read about in screw tape letters. C.S. Lewis has written this book with two demons having discussions over how they can get Christians to fall. And Balak and Balaam are are scheming. And Balaam finally realizes, this is how I can take them down. Through sexual immorality. So send them in. We can't take them out from the outside, so let's take them out from the inside. Let's invite them to this party. As the people of God, we are called To holiness, we are called to be separate, to be in this world, but not of this world. And yet, so often, one of the schemes of Satan, like he used here, he still uses today, is to get God's people to blend in with everyone else. That rather than live separated lives, your lives look like anyone else's. When Peter tells the exiles that God's God's people in the time, he said, no, live lives that lead to questions. Live questionable lives. One of the things Satan loves to do more than anything else is to make your life look like every other life of anyone else living in your neighborhood so that you are virtually taken out of the game, that you are no threat to him because your life looks like everyone else's in the world. You do the same things that they do. You go to the same parties and participate in the same activities as they do. You just look like everyone else. And so if you wonder why I am, I don't feel like Satan's even attacking me. Maybe it's because he has figured out that you are no threat to him because of the way you're living your life. Scriptures say to be aware of the devil's schemes. This is one of the devil's schemes, to get you to compromise and to get you to believe that it's okay, that there's nothing wrong with compromising. This is the doctrine of Balaam as it's called later on in the New Testament. The same thing that happens to God's people here. Hey, come on in. And you can imagine their their thought process when they get invited to this kind of temple worship service of thinking, well, these are our neighbors. God said not to touch them. Let's just go and hang out with them. Maybe we can make a difference in their lives. Maybe we can tell them about our God as we do this. And instead, the exact opposite happens. They get seduced into the worship of Baal. And through that, it says the anger of the Lord was against them. And so this principle of, yes, God's people are blessed, and there's nothing any enemy can do to snatch you out of his hand. Talking about the outside, now we're talking about the inside. However, unchecked, deliberate sin can remove his hand of blessing unchecked, deliberate sin in your life that you have just kind of allowed to continue in your life. You feel no remorse, no repentance over it anymore. It's led to to a place where God's hand of blessing is off of you and he's not using you as he could if you would surrender again to being obedient to his word. Our sin can lead us to pain. Our sin can lead us to live defeated lives. And so what Balak and Balaam failed to do by sorcery, they they succeeded by seduction. And this is why there are so many commands that we read uh, in the New Testament, particularly 1 Corinthians 6.18, where in terms of sexual immorality, it doesn't say, hey, get as close to it as you can without going over the line. Paul says to the church in Corinth, flee from it. Run from it. Run in the complete opposite direction. And if you're talking about the schemes of Satan, how many pastors and leaders have you heard recently who have fallen because of this same sin? Because of sexual immorality. These tactics and schemes of Satan don't change. The same things we read about here are still happening today. And he he wants to get you to a place where you're no longer set apart from the world, but you're just like the world. And you live your life like anyone else, so you don't live questionable lives. And so the challenge out of this is... Let's be people of the word of God and live in light of it. Let's live holy lives. Let's live, yes, we live in a world where we are going to be attacked all the time. We're living in this world, but let's not live of this world. Let's not take on the same kind of hopes and passions that this world has, but let's set our heart and our passion on Jesus Christ and let that lead to questions. Hey, why do you live this way? Why don't you do everything that we do? How do you have that hope even when you're going through what you're going through right now? That's what it means to live a questionable life. So it's it's an absolute shame, this kind of epilogue to this story that we have been studying through of what happens through this inside job that is being done. And so often, can, the, these schemes of Satan continue on in the church, even to the point where, you know, if, if God protects us from the outside, what does Satan do? He sends people on the inside who have hidden agendas. They have personal agendas. And they cause division in churches. They cause churches to split. The same sin that Balaam told Balak to do to to God's people is the same sin that still continues to happen today. People coming into a church with a personal agenda causing division and causing harm to the overall body of Christ. So we need to guard ourselves against that. Now, what is interesting in light of all of this, I didn't want to end on a downer note because actually the title from two weeks ago. What Balak and Balaam intended for evil, God used for good is where this story goes next. If we were to continue to read, we'd see at the end of chapter 26 that, you remember Numbers 13? We looked at that the first week of this series. Numbers 13 was the 12 spies who were sent out, and only two of them came back with positive responses. The other 10 said the people are too big, and and they led the people to, to essentially cry out to go back to Egypt. Only two people believed that God, because God was on their side, they they would have the victory, Joshua and Caleb. And God said, in light of that, no one from that generation will enter the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. And as numbers progresses, we see this generation dying off little by little. After this event that happened with Balaam and with Balak, I'm just going to read the end of chapter 30, uh, 26. 26 verse 64. Look what it says. This is the census that's being taken after all of this happens. And you can kind of miss it because it's kind of hidden in here, and yet it's rich with truth. Verse 64 of chapter 26. But among these there was not one of those listed by Moses and Aaron the priest, who had listed the people of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai, for the Lord had said to them, they shall die in the wilderness. Not one of them was left, except who? Except Caleb and Joshua. What Balak and Balaam intended for evil, God used for good in the establishment of his purposes in this world that the stage is now set for God's people to enter into the promised land. And how did God do it? By using Balaam and Balak as pawns in his purposes in this world and accomplishing what he set out to to accomplish in this world. So that's why I say again, you can look at your life and the hard that we are facing today and all the attacks that you are facing today. And you can question, why is God allowing my loved ones to go through what they're going through? And we can question all of those things, but we can step back in the midst of all of that and say, but God, I don't understand, but I trust you. God, I don't know why you're allowing what you're allowing in my life to happen, what you're allowing in the lives of those I love to happen, but I am choosing today to trust you because you are good and you are sovereign and you know what you're doing, even when I can't see it. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's maybe a good line to end this series with. Let me pray and invite the worship team to come up. Father, we thank you for the time that we have been able to spend in numbers 22 to 24, and then a little bit beyond. Thank you for the many truths that you reveal to us through these narratives. Thank you for using Balaam and Balak as part of your unfolding purpose in this world. And we know that if you can use Balaam and Balak for this, you can use anyone. So Father, I pray today that as the church of Stony Creek here, that these truths would lead us to storm out into the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. May we set boundaries. May we seek to live lives that are set apart, live lives that are holy, live lives that look like Jesus. And may you use that for the furtherance of your kingdom in this world. And God, thank you that that as we look across the whole landscape of everything that's happening in this world and everything that's happening in our lives, that we can trust that you know what you're doing even when we do not understand or see. And so God, give us eyes to see that today and to rest in you today and to know that when you send us out, you go with us wherever we go. We have nothing to fear. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been encouraged by our time today in God's Word, we'd love for you to connect with us on social media and let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at SCBC London. Until next time, I'm your host, Ryan, and this has been Stony Creek Radio. God bless.